Thank you, worship guys. Speaking of youth ministry, good old Jared Cavalieri, one of our young youth punks all grown up, still drumming like a machine. And how are we all doing? Here on a Saturday, you guys are the dedicated ones, right? Yeah. The hungry ones. You can feel the hunger in the room too during worship, you guys pressing in. Really appreciate that, and it is uh, our absolute pleasure to be here with you guys this morning and uh, tomorrow as well, and love and appreciate your pastors, Keith and Janet, and all that they've done in the city of Newcastle, sewn in, and of course your campus leaders and pastors as well, and it was great being with Earl and Christina, running it, they really are doing an incredible job, youth ministry, leading... And we were, we were encouraged just to be with them and see your young people on fire and pressing into the things of God. We want, I want to get through, so I don't want to uh, go over time this morning. I don't want to take up any more of your Saturday than what's needed. Uh, but uh, as, as Nate mentioned, Chris and I have been leading uh, Dayspring Church now for two and a half years. Every time we come back to Newcastle, we know that it had to be a God thing that we moved to Sydney. We come back over that hill into my, my parents live at Caves Beach. We come over that hill, we see the ocean and, and our hearts just sink. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a good 40 minute, 45 minutes, actually, you know, it's more than that really. But the closest beach is about 40 minutes away, costs $30 in tolls and $70 in parking for the day. And so that was our first taste, going to Balmoral Beach. Let's go hit the beach. What's the closest one? Balmoral. And a hundred bucks later, uh, hey, it, was, it was a good day. It was good weather. I don't think we made it for a swim, but uh, anyway. So don't take it for granted how amazing you have it here in Newcastle. Beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, I know we certainly did, but we don't anymore. We, we, actually, I was here on Monday. Kristen was visiting a friend, and I'm staying at my, uh, just visiting my parents. I snuck out for a run and a swim on the beach, living it up. So anyway, maybe one day God will call us back to a beach city. This morning, uh, the team here have asked us to kind of teach into and release you guys, activate you guys into taking perhaps what you see normally on a Sunday, prophetic words, healing, the supernatural lifestyle, what you see happening within the four walls of church, how to take that out into your everyday life, how to live a spirit-led life Monday through to Saturday, uh, which really is the normal Christian life, right? But it's a challenge. Anyone with me? Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I need you preaching to me. It's a challenge to take some of these things, to step out in faith, to take a risk, to put yourself out there, to, you know, perhaps, you know, create an awkward situation for yourself and to step out and communicate the gospel message, to give a word of knowledge, all those kind of things. It's, it's a challenge, but it's what the normal Christian life looks like. We see Jesus, we see the early church, we see the Acts, uh, you know, the apostles in the book of Acts living this kind of life, taking their Christian life, taking their faith out onto the streets. And that's where it thrives and flourishes the most. And I find that church gets messed up and broken when we stop reaching out. Because we forget that there's a bigger picture. And we start fighting amongst ourselves. Whereas when we have people coming in and experience the salvation of God in our churches, and when we see people experiencing the touch of God and encountering His presence out on the streets, it keeps us alive, it keeps us grounded, and it keeps us fresh in our minds what it is that we're actually called to do. And so this is the question we want to answer this morning. How we take 
the spirit of God, a spirit-led lifestyle into our Monday to Friday, I think we're starting to see a shift. I think we are starting to see the church get hungry for this again. The church kind of get not so much tired of church on a Sunday, but kind of like a holy frustration that there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. I'm coming to church. I'm being encouraged. I'm being inspired. Life is being imparted into me. But there's got to be something more. And so I think we're starting to see a hunger rise up, starting to see a shift across the church in the Western world in particular. Uh, The the church in the other places in the world are already way ahead of us. They're living this so much better. We can learn a lot from them. So this morning, I want to teach a few things. I want to unpack what I think are some of the struggles Uh, you know, mentally and emotionally and spiritually that we need to overcome to get to that place. And we also want to activate you guys and also pray as well. So is that okay? So there may be a few awkward moments at the end of the next session, but that's okay. If we can't be awkward with each other in here, it's not going to happen out there. I think sometimes you've got to realize that, yeah, it's awkward. Get over it. And I'm preaching to myself there. So I I want to put a little bit of a disclaimer. Krista and I are on this journey as well. You know, we are still, you know, moving through, you know, how we overcome intimidation, the fear of man, all these roadblocks to moving out. We have people in our church that are way better at this than us. And, and we got, oh my goodness, you know, and, but we we love having those people in our world. And, you know, some of the people we have come in the day spring, Ben Fitzgerald, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. And, uh, you know, leading the awakening movement across Australia and Europe. I mean, that we, had, we took him out for lunch last year, and I don't think he actually finished his meal. I don't know if he got a single bite, because every five seconds he was up preaching the gospel to someone. And I'm thinking, I'm so, getting so convicted. And, I'm thinking, and talking to his interns, is this what he's like all the time? Yeah, this is what he's like. Just doesn't sit still. Someone walks past, and he goes, got to go share the gospel. And, uh, you know, it's challenging. First of all, it's challenging. Well, how do I, you know... Is that what God's asking me to do? No, God's asking me to be myself, but what does that look like in that context? But I love having those people in our world. We have young guys. We're going to see a testimony from one of our young guys who in our church that, uh, that he's doing this way much better than we are. And we've asked him and a few others to help create this culture in our church at an even a higher level. So I want to start by asking two questions that I believe will help us unpack some of the roadblocks uh, to us living a spirit-led life. Two questions. What story am I living out of? And where am I, from where am I drawing my identity? What story am I living out of? And from where am I drawing my identity? So that first question, what story am I living out of? Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so there's really two sides to the equation. One is what God is taking care of. We have been given life in the Spirit. The second is what we need to take care of. It's our choice to live in step with the Spirit and that has been placed inside of us and upon us. And so we have to choose to live life in rhythm. I'm going to unpack and talk about that a little bit more tomorrow morning, what it looks like to live life in rhythm with the Spirit. We have to, but that's our choice to do that. God has done His part. We need to now keep in step with the Spirit. You know, you would know that we are body, soul, and spirit, three parts, right? And so the question becomes, when we ask what story are we living out of, is which part of our life, body, soul, or spirit, is actually doing the leading? Which part is actually doing the leading? We, we talk and use this phrase being spirit-led, but I think if we were to stop and reflect a lot of our days, a lot of our time, we are probably being soul-led or body-led more than we are being spirit-led. So what are you keeping in step with? 
which part of your life, or maybe there's even an outside force that is setting the pace and the rhythm that you are living. Uh, The beginning of this journey with the Spirit-led life is to get good at asking this question. What is influencing me? What is influencing me? What is the driving force behind my choices and my behavior? One thing that I've come to realize in this Christian life is that often what's shouting the loudest is the least important. Often what is creating the most noise in my life is the least important. And so part of the challenge is to quiet the worry, the stress, all the different things, all the different people that are placing demands on my life. You know, we learned real quick that being a senior pastor, a lot of people that have expectations and they're placing a lot of demands on you. But it's not necessarily, in fact, I find more often than not, it's them trying to set an agenda. They don't know, they don't have a bad old, you know, motive or they have got no agenda, but they're, they're setting, trying to set your pace, trying to set your rhythm, trying to set your agenda. And often what's the loudest in our life is actually not the most important. And so we have to learn to understand, ask this question, what is influencing me? Culture is a big part of what is influencing me. Again, life in rhythm. Tomorrow I want to unpack how it is, because I think this is a big, big one. Culture, which is values, behavior. In fact, the definition of culture is the story you're living out of. That is a great definition of what culture is, the story that we are living out of. And so how is the values and the beliefs, the patterns of behavior of this world, the secular culture, how does that influence us? Because it does. It has an influence on our thinking in the church. How is it influencing us? Is it influencing you? Popular opinion, what's culturally acceptable, what's politically correct? Big one, right? Huge. Media, again, a big influence on our lives, what we're seeing, what the media is communicating as normal. The standard, what's acceptable, here's where we have to live at, here's what we have to live up to, here's what you should look like, here's what you should wear, here's what you should be saying, or or here's what you should not be saying, maybe is even a bigger one. So the the world's view of what we need, the world's definition of success, social media, all that kind of stuff, comparison. Church culture also has an influence and can be leading us. You know, traditions, traditions of man, religious culture is a big influence on our life. You know, systems and structures of the church. Not necessarily bad, but they should never lead us. We should never, we need structures, we need systems, but they should never actually lead us. We should never be driven by systems and structures. We are presence driven, we are presence led. Our feelings and emotions, again, not necessarily bad. God created our emotions, thank you, Jesus. Uh, But we're not to be led by our emotions. Emotions and feelings, they are great indicators, but terrible dictators. They're great at giving us insight into what's going in, uh, on inside of us, in our inner world, and also what's going on outside, but we are not to be led by our feelings and emotions. Thoughts and mind, again, a big one in our Western world. Uh, most of the, our Western culture is led by and influenced by our mind. If we can think it out and work it out, then we can trust it. Whereas the Christian life is not about working everything out. Who knows that there is mystery involved. There is faith involved. There's always going to be a gap. That's where the leap of faith, that's where trust, that's where relationship is built. Even in marriage, there's a leap of faith. You don't, you know, putting your trust in your partner for the rest of your life, that's a big call. There's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of gray area there. But it's, you know, we can't figure it out. We can't do relationships from our mind. We have to do it from our heart. And so it is with our Christian life. We have to make sure that we're not being led by patterns of our mind or fear. 
which comes in our mind. You know, Paul said to Timothy, you know, you haven't been given a spirit of fear. In other words, Timothy, you're being led by what you're afraid of. You're letting fear influence and drive your behavior. And so Paul was pulling Timothy up saying, hey, this is not what has been given to you. You're letting fear influence you in a negative direction, in the wrong way. Knowledge, intellect, reasoning, all these kind of things. The Christian life is definitely a life where our mind is engaged. Other religions will say, empty your mind. That's not Christianity. We don't empty our minds. We fill it with the mind of Christ. We set our mind on things above. So it's not about emptying our minds, but let's not be led by our minds. We are called to, be, uh, we're called to lead a spirit-led life. So these things, and a great many more, we could spend time going through so many more, uh, are different things that can influence us, different things that can lead us and direct us. But the truth is we are called to live a spirit-led life life, to be influenced by His Spirit, by His voice, not just on a Sunday, but every day. When we start talking about this, it's understand it's not about, Kristen's going to unpack this a little bit more, it's not about striving or trying to be a better person. It's simply living out of the identity of who you are. It's simply living out of, again, the Spirit's rhythm that He has placed inside of your life, aligning your life. It's an inside-out job. Romans 12, 2 a famous scripture speaks into this area of influence. And I want to unpack this for a little bit. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the process of renewing our mind is the process of transforming into the image and the pattern of Christ, who is our example of a Spirit-led life. If you ever question or want to know what does a spirit-led life look like, look at the life of Jesus. That's it. Everything that Jesus did is an invitation for us, not just an observation to be made on the pages of Scripture. It's an invitation into the same life, that spirit-led lifestyle. And that process of renewing our mind is what takes us out of one story, the story of this world, the culture and the patterns of this world, into His story. Two competing stories. the, The culture of this world, what we are born into, and the story of his kingdom. We know the gospel message translates us and takes us out of one story into another. And the process of renewing our mind is unlearning that story, unlearning the patterns of that story, and relearning a new pattern. And I think one of the greatest challenges that we have is, as Christians is not just the ability to learn, but the ability to unlearn. And this is where we find ourselves in church. We find ourselves bringing old patterns into a new way of living, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. This is the renewing of our mind, foundational for the Spirit-led life. Only only the renewed mind will have the ability to, what's Paul say, test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, only the renewed mind has the ability to see what the Father is doing and saying and respond accordingly. This is where it all hangs on, our renewed mind. It's something that we're going to be doing for the rest of our lives, unlearning old patterns and relearning new ones, unlearning old ways of thinking and relearning new ones. Why is this so important? Because we can't have influence over that which has influence upon us. We can't have influence on this story if we're still living in it. We can't have influence on 
the, the culture around us, on the pattern around us, which is the spirit-led life, bringing heaven to earth, we can't have influence in this world if we are still living from it. We have a saying in our church that free people, free people. It takes a free man to bring freedom to someone else. If I'm in the same prison you are, then how can I set you free? I may know a lot. I may know content. But who knows that the Christian life is not about content? I may believe that Jesus heals, but is it the story I'm living out of? I may believe that Jesus wants to speak through me, but is it the story that I'm living out of? What is influencing you? What story is influencing you? I think most of us, unfortunately, live in this world. Sorry, this side of the room. You're good people, but you're on the bad side of the world. I think most of us live on this side of the world, not going through the process of renewing our minds. We look into this side of the world and look at pieces of truth and bolt them on. Rather than, what does Paul say? Be transformed. Then I have something to offer. Then, rather than Christian content, I actually have a real life example. And I'm not just saying, hey, Jesus heals. I'm saying, hey, look at my life. Jesus, when he announced when his ministry, he said, he said, I have come to set the prisoners free. The only reason that he could say that was because he was free himself. And so we need to, I think that we're in a, in a moment right now where Jesus is setting the captives free in church so that we can bring that freedom to the world. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there is a lot of freedom needed in the world today which means that we have, as a church, have an opportunity that we would perhaps have never had before to minister freedom into the, life, into the lives of those around us in our business places, in our schools, and in our universities. Second question, from where am I drawing my identity? You will never be effective in a spirit-led life if your identity is not being formed and shaped by who God says you are. Simple, simple truth. And again, flowing on from this scripture in Romans 12, the renewing of our mind. Who or what is informing you of your identity? Who or what is shaping your identity? The best picture we have in scripture, I believe, is that of Jesus and his baptism. And, and Jesus is baptized by John and the Holy Spirit falls upon him. Key number one, we cannot do this Christian life without baptism of the Holy Spirit, without his presence and anointing. Spirit-led life is one led by Him, anointed by Him, graced by Him, empowered by Him, fueled by Him, energized by Him. The second thing that happens, though, is when, when the Spirit falls as, in, as a dove, He says, we, we know the Scripture, this is my Son, who I am well pleased. So before Jesus does a single bit of ministry, His identity is established as a Son. The very next verse is, the Spirit leads Him into the wilderness, and what's tested? His identity. His identity, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. And that is the testing point for us as Christians. If you do carry the Holy Spirit, if you are a Son of God, if you are anointed, we question our identity. And while ever our identity is being formed by the externals, by the people we hang around, we will never be able to overcome fear, rejection, comparison, all those things that prevent us from speaking out and stepping out hinge on where we have our identity. I think a lot, of Christian lives live, a lot of Christians live their lives trying to figure out who they are 
rather than living from who they already are. I need to, you know, need to figure stuff out. We're living this way, trying to reach out rather than realizing we already have everything we need. Our identity is formed. We are a son of God. That's all we need to know. And of course, there's stuff to work out along the way. Of course, there's a process, again, of renewing our mind. But a lot of us live our lives according to who we need to be rather than understanding it's all about who God says you already are. Romans 8.15 says this, You have received, not you will, you might one day, maybe if you measure up, if you get enough Sundays in a row and break the attendance record. No, you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit is in you, reaffirming your identity as a son. But who are you listening to, his voice or someone else's? And this here, I think, is a big, big challenge. I know it's my challenge. Where am I getting my identity from? But once we've established that, once we understand who we are, then we are free to release what we carry. Once we understand who we are, our identity is formed and strong, that we realize that, that we are right, the righteousness of God, that in His eyes we cannot fail, that we're not looking for man's approval, we have His approval. Once we get that established, then we can start to release what we carry. I want to tell you one quick... Oh, I wish I had time to tell you two quick stories. Well, I'll take up my wife's time and then she'll... All right, I'm going to do it. So at a function... At a function I was at a couple of years ago, I was just sitting around having a family thing, sitting around having dinner with my dad, and this lady comes up to us, and she just says, uh, you know, she uses really strange language, but it was normal language for her. She says, there's some kind of aura around you. And, uh, you know, of course, I looked at, looked at dad and, and thought, maybe she's talking about you. She says, no, I'm talking about you. And I thought, yeah, there is an aura. Dad, what do you got going on in your life? <laughs> It's me. It's me she's talking about. But that was like a, a, a light bulb moment for me. We were able to kind of say, well, it's, you know, it's not an aura. We're Christians and, and you know, kind of you know, in a loose way share the gospel. She was, had a little bit too much to drink as well. But mind you, that doesn't stop the Holy Spirit from being able to move and inject. In fact, maybe often that's even better because it brings down all the barriers and all the, all the mental agreements and fights in their mind. But, you know, we were able to explain to her that you know, this is Jesus. But it was kind of a light bulb moment for me that I'm carrying something. And I think sometimes other people see it more than what we do. And, and so uh, I think we need to live aware that you are carrying something. You are carrying, you know, the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So, of course, we would make a difference coming into a room like that. There should be a difference, and there probably is, and they're probably noticing it, but they're not necessarily having language for it or not bold enough to say, hey, there's something different about you. But are you aware that you carry something different? A couple of months ago, me and my friends, uh, we went for a walk uh, around Newtown in Sydney. Is anyone familiar with the area of Newtown? Really kind of hipster, you know, uh, strong uh, gay community, kind of like cutting edge, progressive part of Sydney. Very different than the little old hills where we live. The hills is very Christianized. It's like the Bible Belt of Sydney. And, um, but in Newtown is like the complete opposite. And so basically when they shut down King's Cross... Everything from there moved to Newtown. 
And so we were there with a couple of friends. We were just walking the streets praying. And we actually were thinking, man, it would be great to maybe have a church here one day. And, and you know, maybe just, what would that look like? And so we're praying. And, and we walked across. I had heard this story of Foursquare Church. Uh, who knows the history of Foursquare? Amy Simple McPherson. They, they came out to Australia in 1901, and they started in Cessnock, believe it or not. I don't know why they landed in Cessnock, but they landed in Cessnock, and revival broke out amongst the coal miners in 1901. There was a strike. They had a captive audience. They preached the gospel, and revival broke out in Cessnock. So there's revival history in Cessnock that's, that needs to be untapped. And anyway, so they moved from Cessnock into Newtown, and they built the first Foursquare church. And they, again, revival broke out in the Newtown. That building is now owned by Tibetan Buddhists. And when I heard that story, I thought, that's not right. That's, that's holy ground. That's, that's God's territory. And sure enough, in Newtown, there are actually three Tibetan Buddhist uh, temples in a triangle. They're very, very strategic in the way they think. So we're walking through this town. Let's Google and find out where this church is. And so we found where the church is. And me and my friends, well, they were praying while I was Instagramming. <laughs> they had their hands... <laughs> They had just, just keeping it real. They had their hands on the building praying. But sure enough, there's this, like, this foundation stone, you know, dedicating the building to God. It's there in 1903 or 1901, something like that. And then right above that, there's the bulletin board for everything happening in the Tibetan temple, everything happening this week. So they're praying, claiming it back for God. I'm standing back here taking a photo for Instagram. And out comes the owner. And she goes, what are you guys doing, protesting? I said, no, 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 we're, we're interested in the history of the building. She said, well, why don't you come on in? And so she gave us a tour for an hour and showed us the photos and, and you know, the place was filled. And so we were there. She thought we were there getting a history lesson. We were there praying and taking it back in the name of Jesus. But again, I was just realizing that what we carry has the potential to open. That was like, it was just like this, we look back and think, man, this is amazing. That, that she just happened to walk out. She was going to get lunch. And then she spent the next, she missed out on lunch. Everything was shut by then. Well, the place that she wanted to go to anyway. But we were able to, you know, she had no idea what we are doing. We felt that if, the minute we said we were Christians, the whole thing would be shut down. Yeah. We were able to pray, and, you know, where they're looking at the computer, looking at the photos, and they're walking around, you know, praying and all that kind of stuff. Just realizing and understanding what we carry, the influence that we have. And I really believe in that moment a seed was sown that I'm going to cash in on in the next couple of years and take that place back for Jesus and start to see the gospel influence the area of Newtown. Understanding what we carry. It starts with understanding who we are. I'm going to hand it over. Oh, no, I've got activation time. No, I'm going to hand it over to Kristen, then we'll do the activation at the end. Let's do that. We'll make sure we... You want to do that? Can we go to 11 o'clock? All right. You're not going to say no, because you're too nice a guy, Nate. All right. Let's do a quick activation. Five minutes. I want you to close your eyes. You may need a pad or an iPad or something handy because I'm going to ask you to write something. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about your life and how you respond right now to the different situations in your life. What's your go-to? What's your default? When situations happen, when you're faced with decisions, you're faced with new opportunities, what is your driving behavior? What is your driving response? Is it fear? Is it the fear of man? Are you being driven by what's culturally acceptable? What's the norm? Not wanting to rock the boat. Keep up appearances. Don't shake things up. People won't understand. Are you being driven by fear? Uh, sorry, feelings and emotions? Are you being led by them in these situations? 
Do you find it difficult to control your anger? Are you responding out of that place? Responding out of being perhaps over-emotional, not able to keep your mouth quiet? Are your thoughts and your minds, are they in control of your decisions? Are they leading? Are they running away with themselves? Does your intellect or reasoning get in the way? These are the questions I want to ask. Whatever is coming to mind right now, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what He's asking you to give Him permission to work on. What it is that He wants to tweak and change. It may just be one thing. There may be one circumstance that's come to mind that's happened this week or recently. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, how should have I, what would have it looked like if I was led by you in that moment? What would it have looked like? What would it have sounded like? What would the words of, how would I have spoken differently? In this moment, I believe He's wanting to do an exchange with you. There's an invitation to give Him what it is you've been relying on, that rhythm of life that you've been relying on, and He wants to give you His rhythm, His way. Take a few moments. You may need to write something down. Amen. It's probably something to keep thinking about, keep meditating on what Aaron's talking about. Aaron, can I switch waters with you? I love you, but I don't want to share drinks. <laughs> Is it all right if we get a bit practical today? Because we're talking about um, knowledge versus experience. Amen. Our Christian life isn't theoretical. We have theology, that's important, but it's not theory, it's experience. And what I'm just going to quickly share on before we go into the break is the nuts and bolts, I guess, of what it is to partner with the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. And it is a process, or it's, it is, I want to encourage you to re truly reflect on how much you experience what you know. It's like what Aaron was saying. We can know a whole lot, but how much do we actually experience? We know him as healer. Do we experience him as healer? We know that he saves. Do we see that? Do we experience that? We know him. He is the Prince of Peace. Do we experience that though? Do we carry that? Is that our everyday experience? So over the next couple of minutes, I just want you to be in that heart posture to really don't be ever, let us never become familiar with the word. Amen. Let us never become familiar with scripture and all of these things. Let, it, let us always be in wonder and ready to experience the more of it. Amen? Amen. 
And I actually just wanted to pick, on, pick up on what you prayed right at the beginning, and you prayed something about, I think it was you, about um, individual hearts. You, we, we, yeah. There was prayer for breakthrough over churches and, and, and things like that, but you also prayed about breakthrough for individual hearts. And something went off on the inside of me, and I just wanted to speak into that. And I particularly felt that there would be breakthrough for people this morning who felt that there was a barrier for your own personal intimate, intimate connection with the Holy Spirit. That there's, you, you, you hear about other people's relationships with the Lord and you, you haven't quite experienced that in its fullness yet for yourself and disappointment has set in. And we know in the Word, when, when disappointment comes, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so I really felt when you prayed that this morning that there's going to be breakthrough and healing for people's hearts. So if that's you this morning, just receive that now. Receive that right now and be expected. Then God is going to do a work in your heart and unlock your ability to, to experience Him in ways that you've never had before. Is that, a, is that okay? All right, so knowledge versus experiences. Our walk with God is a process of learning how to cooperate with the Spirit. Amen? Living with more an awareness of, of, of His presence, what He is doing, and then not just in what he's doing in an environment, but being able to, to step into a place where we cooperate with that. But it's a reality, like Aaron said, we have to fight for. That's a reality that we have to fight for because as Aaron just unpacked for us, there is a lot of things that want to, that fight to sit in the driver's seat of our life, internal things, external things. But we are called not to be influenced by this world that he was talking about, not to be influenced by our soul realm. We are called to be people who live and are influenced by the Spirit. And a life of living in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, it's a life that is developed with great intentionality because it's a relationship. Think about your marriage. Think about the relationships in your world. To develop those, it, it takes intentionality because they're not theory. They're people, they're living, they're organic, and it's the same with the Holy Spirit. And Aaron's already said this, Jesus is our ultimate example of the Spirit-led life. He didn't do any ministry until he was baptized and we see the Holy Spirit come upon him. He is our ultimate example. And then Jesus, we see he walks out the rest of his ministry in step with the Spirit. We see he says that I'm the son and I do nothing that I don't see my father doing. He demonstrated that for us. And then he sets the disciples up to live the same way. Before he ascends after the resurrection, he commissions them with assignment, amen, in Matthew 28, to go into the world and make disciples, but he tells them to wait. He tells them to wait for the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And you see, authority comes with commission. Power comes from encounter. And the two go together. They have to go together. Authority comes with the commission. And a lot of us stop there. We get our commission, we get our call, and we run off. And we forget the empowerment, right? We forget the encounter with the presence. We cannot do it without him. The disciples needed both to fulfill the assignment. We need both. We need the commission and the encounter. And of course, we know in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes, the New Testament church is born, and they are empowered. And we, the church, still continuing, we carry the same spirit, the same power. We still have the same assignment. Amen? until the return of Jesus Christ. So if it wasn't possible for the apostles back then to live this thing without the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, we need that as well, amen? Because we can function part of our Christian lives, and many Christians do, according to what we know about God, what we know in the Word, and all of that is great. That's a great foundation. 
but we are called into an experiential two-way communicative relationship with God. He is to be experienced. And I love this scripture in the Amplified. Write this down, Ephesians 3.19. This is Paul. I love the way the Amplified says it. It says, And that you may come to know practically through personal experience the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled throughout your being to all the fullness of God so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God himself. That's an invitation. That's, that's the invitation that you and I have. Amen? Why would we settle for anything less? Why, but we do. The moment that we stop with what we know about God what we knew about God even, or what we experienced with God. I remember that really cool thing I experienced with God, you know, last year. I remember that. The minute we settle for that, we step out of that present intimate relationship and we start to settle for religion and formula. And we need to be keep, keeping in step with Him in current intimate relationship. And Jesus speaks into this, the need to move beyond formula, what we just know about God. In John 5, he's speaking to the Pharisees and he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. That's a challenge, right? Jesus was trying to get them to see that their life, that their life was not going to be found in their headspace in what they knew, in traditions and in formulas and all of those things. Their life, our life is to be found in Him, in Him, in relationship with Him. They knew the Scriptures back to front. They knew them inside out. Yet the, the, the living Word made flesh stands right in front of them and they, they don't even recognise Him. They don't even recognise Him, stuck in their heads. And, you know, the world doesn't want to hear anymore about God. They don't want to hear what we know about him. They want to encounter him. Amen. They want to encounter the very presence of God. We are called to carry him. We do carry him and we're called to release him. Just like you prayed this morning, Nate. God is wanting to encounter us more than we want to encounter him. How much more is he wanting to encounter his lost sons and daughters? Amen. And we are to be the walking encounter that the world needs. Amen? A person in crisis doesn't need a cute Bible verse. Do they? The person in crisis on the street that we meet, that we're sitting next to on the bus, wherever, they don't need a cutesy Bible verse. They need us to be able to release the, the actual presence of peace. Peace is a person, Jesus Christ. They need to encounter him right then in that moment. That is what the world is hungry for. And we have a, a quick video of one of our young adult guys. His name is Braidwood Rathbone, for a start. How's that name? <laughs> That's legit his name. Anyway, he, he's awesome, and this is just one of his testimonies if we're ready to go. Oh. 
think you, you can stop it there. <laughs> but I just love that. We don't need to be super articulate and have everything planned and ready to go. You know, it shows that God is ready. He's ready to, to meet people and to love people and to heal and to break in on someone's worlds. Amen. And he uses us to do that. as just a life available and ready. And this is just what I want to focus on. Okay, good. Um, just with the rest of our time, how we become more aware of his presence and what he's doing in and around us, how to recognize his leading and cooperate with that. Ephesians 3.19, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Everybody say power. power. Through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And we all said, power, three or four times, power, power. We know that, that word dunamis. It's a weighty substance, amen, the power, the presence of God. It's a force. It's a miraculous power when you look at the, the meaning of that word. We have not been given a gospel of words. We've been given a gospel of power, amen? And we are to steward that. That is what we're stewarding and releasing to the world. But God hasn't given us this power to transform our, just to transform, absolutely to transform our own lives, but not just to transform our own lives and our own churches, it's not just for that purpose, amen. He's looking for sons and daughters who know what it is to partner with him to shift atmospheres. It goes well beyond the individual and the church. He is looking for sons and daughters to carry it and to shift atmospheres. Shifting the atmospheres, not just over our homes and churches, but our workplaces, our schools, the bus that you ride, whatever, wherever you are, your work, our cities and our nations. But we can't release what we aren't aware of. We can't release what we aren't aware of. Bill Johnson says this, that we will reflect the reality we are most aware of. We will reflect the reality that we are most aware of. So if we are stuck living from and being more aware of our physicality or our soul realm, what's going on in our soul, then that's what we're going to release into the atmosphere. However, if we learn what it is to be a people who develop that relationship with the Spirit and are aware of what's going on in His kingdom and in, this, in heaven's atmosphere, that's a release that will shift an atmosphere for His glory. Amen? So how do we develop this awareness of the presence? It's, it's pretty simple. Number one, it's just becoming presence conscious. Becoming presence conscious. And it's a way of thinking. It's a mindset. It's like what Aaron said before. It's a renewing of our mind. Do we walk around aware of who it is that we're carrying with us? Do we go about our everyday lives aware of him and what he's wanting to do in the places that we go and the people that we talk to and the situations that we face? Do we walk according to our true identity? Or are we more aware and more conscious of our immediate surroundings again, what's going on in the world, how our soul and our emotions are responding to them. Colossians 3, 1 to 3 in the message says it brilliantly. It says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. 
I love this. Listen, don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, amen, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. There's a scripture to meditate on, amen. The spirit-led life is a spirit-focused life. We've got to learn to lift up our eyes and not be so absorbed in the natural. There's so much more going on. We've been seated in Christ with heavenly pla- in heavenly places, amen. We know that. But how often do we let our perspectives be influenced by that? That is where our perspective needs to be, not down here in the dirt, in the natural anymore, amen, but seated. So our reflection, yeah, our perception needs to reflect our position in Christ. We have an invitation to live from a new perspective. And I love this Old Testament example of this. I wasn't going to share it, but I I felt in my spirit too, because it's just such a great, clear example. Elisha and his servant. You know, when he's, you've got the king of Aram and, and the king of Israel and they're at war with each other. And God basically gives Elisha all of the king of Aram's battle plans. And it's actually quite comical when you read through it. He's just getting so frustrated, frustrated. like how are they knowing, you know, and, and, and Elisha the prophet's getting, you know, all of his attacks and all of his plans. And, and this is what it says. This is the king is so frustrated. Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. And they went by night and surrounded the city. Do we, do we know this scripture? Familiar? This is the best bit. But when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. That needs to be our prayer. Open my eyes, God, so I can see what you're doing. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha's awareness of what was going on was completely different to that of his servant. Amen? Elisha saw in the spirit. He knew. He saw that God had it in hand. Two men facing the same situation with completely different awarenesses of what was going on, two different realities. What are we most aware of? What are we most aware of? If like Aaron Aaron said before, if we are more aware of our physicality, what's going on in the surroundings, then that's the place that we're going to live from and that's what we're going to be releasing. Or if we're more aware of our emotions and our need to understand and figure everything out, then that's where we're going to be living from and that's what we're going to be releasing. We are called to be people who know what God is doing. What's, what's the Holy Spirit up to in this moment so that we can partner with that and cooperate that? I love what um, Bill Johnson says. He says, my life must be lived in response to what the Father is doing because that is the life that Jesus modeled and that's the invitation that you and I have. So how do we do this? Just two quick things. How do we do this to become more presence conscious? It's developing new habits. It's being transformed, renewing our mind, developing two new habits. And they're they're pretty easy. The first one is to check in with the spirit. 
check in with the spirit. It's like what Braid did. I don't know if you picked that up. He was, you know, in the middle of his interaction with that guy from the skate park and he went over to the bin or something and on his way back he said, Holy Spirit, is there anything you want me to say? That is the perfect example of the check-in. Yeah. Just checking in with the Holy Spirit and learning to do this regularly when you walk into a room, when you, when you get to work, when you wake up in the morning and you're with your family. It's like, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you think about this? What are you saying? What do you want to do? And what does this mean for me? How can I partner with you in this? Graham Cook calls it developing an internal frame of reference. I love that. Developing an internal frame of reference. We don't take our truth from the externals. Growing up in the world, I think that's what we're trained to do. But no, we don't take our truth from the externals. We ask the Father for his perspective and we learn to perceive in the Spirit. So with the Holy Spirit's help, we develop a new way of responding to the world. And that's why I use the word habit, because it's something that we need to learn to do. It's a new pattern that we need to establish. And, and we need to get really practical with it too. Set yourself, like just for a day, set yourself the challenge to be aware, how much do I actually do check in with the Holy Spirit? And some of our young guys, I know that they set just little reminders on the phone, yeah. just to kind of go, oh, that's right, Holy Spirit... And that can sound a little bit funny, but how often, and I know as a mum, I get up in the morning and I'm getting the kids ready to school and I drop, we, we settle into autopilot because yeah. life just happens. doesn't mean we don't love the Lord, but we, you know, we, we miss out on this whole other level of experience. He wants to do life with us. And so get practical with it. Set yourself the challenge to actually be aware, how much am I checking in with the Spirit? And I think it's really important to say here that it's, you know, we also need to shift our level of expectation, I think. I think a lot of people don't necessarily check in with the Holy Spirit because they don't expect, there's no expectation that he's actually going to speak to them or wanting to speak to them. And that's actually, you know, we couldn't further be from the truth, could it? I love John 15, 15, it says this, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. He wants to let you in on what he's doing. He wants to let you in. So maybe this morning, if nothing else, God is saying, shift your expectation level. I want to be speaking with you. I want, I've got awesome things for you to do. Just check in with me. And yeah. And you know what? It's actually in the checking in. This was a big key for me. It was actually in the checking in that I realized, oh, he actually does have something to say. Like, I don't know what I was expecting for God to like write it in the sky or something like that or to interrupt my thought. But I think he wants that, that relationship for us to inquire of him and check in with him. And it was when I actually started doing that, I was like, oh, wow, he actually, he, he wants to speak to me and he is doing it. And it's in that checking in that we begin to learn how he speaks to us. Amen. How he speaks. Sometimes we might get a knowing about something. I mean, we experienced these kinds of things before. And it's in the checking in we, we learn this about him, how he speaks to us. So it could be just a knowing about something or a situation. Or it could be a word that interrupts your thoughts that you get for somebody or anything like that, but it's, we would never have known unless we actually just stopped to check in. So checking in with the Spirit. And the next one, next habit to do is to respond. Everybody say respond. Respond to the Spirit. And I know it sounds obvious, but it's like Aaron said, this is where it can get a little awkward. And this is where we can shut the whole thing down. 
because he is speaking, but it's up to us to respond. I cannot even count how many times I felt to pray, I felt to say something, I felt to do something, and I just didn't. Am I in good company this morning? (laughs) I just didn't. You know, perhaps because of fear or a lack of confidence, because I am a complete introvert. I think I shared this the last time that I was here. So stepping out and taking risks, that's not my, you know, how I'm naturally wired at all. But, you know, it's in our response to him where we actually learn to develop this thing like a muscle. And as we do that, even just in small ways, we begin to build up a history with God where we've seen him come through again and again. And as we do that and we build up that history, we know that he's faithful and he comes through for us and it gets easier and easier. And you know what? It doesn't always have to be a big, loud response. If we get a sense of what the Spirit is doing, God isn't asking us to... It's not always going to look like braid. That's what I was always freaked out because I was hearing stories of people getting words of knowledge at the supermarket and asking to borrow the microphone and then like all crazy things breaking out in the aisles and things like that. And so I was petrified for a while that God was going to make me do that. And so I'm like, I'm not even checking in because that's... Scary, and I don't want to do that. Is anybody else with me? This thing can look like it looks in you. I am very different to Aaron. You know, there is full permission this morning for you to be you. God wants you to be you, and He wants me to be me, and He He is fine with that. I think we are more fussed about things like that. And it's, it's, that's not the case. It can look like you. Maybe for you, you will just walk into an environment and you will feel it being really tense. And God is just wanting you to very quietly under your breath just release the peace of God. Release the peace and the presence of God into a stressful situation. Perhaps it's just seeing people. I know people, and I've kind of moved in that. People have a gift to see people that most people, you know, the, the ones that sometimes get overlooked. That's a gift. Jesus saw people. He stopped and he noticed people. That in itself is... Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't always have to be big and brash and impressive. It's just... But but we need to respond. That's the point. The point is that we need to be responding. Um, It's like in a marriage when, you know, when you first get married. Well, and it's an ongoing thing. You're learning each other because we're different people. And so we're learning to read and interpret and then respond and it's a dance that you do in a marriage. And, you know, right back at the beginning, if I was reading and interpreting, you know, what's going on for him, and he's trying to communicate that to me, if I only ever read it and understood it but didn't respond, we wouldn't be here 20 years later. And it's the same with the Spirit. It's got to be not just a hearing. There's got to be a response. Amen. We need to be responding. Because remember, he's not a theory. He is a person. He is a person. One of my personal stories with this was definitely not grabbing a microphone at the shopping centre and and releasing a word of knowledge. Um, A recent one was um, I was just walking, doing some shopping. It was in the afternoon after school. I'd dropped the kids off and ducked out to get a few things for school projects and all the mums went, yeah, school projects. Needed more glue and cardboard or something. So anyway, I walk into the reject shop and I just was so aware of God's presence, like just in a moment. And I would love to say that my initial response was excitement, but it wasn't. (laughs) I walked in and I just felt his presence. I was like, oh, no. 
<laughs> who you wanted me to talk to. And so I, was, so I was like, I had a moment then to kind of go, okay, you're here. I don't know exactly what you're going to ask me to do, but let's just see this thing. And, and so I, I was kind of walking around like, who is it going to be? And like trying to keep, is it a word? What, what's going to happen? And I was there for about 10, 15 minutes, and it wasn't really until I was just about to leave, and I'd kind of forgot about it by the end of the, the shop. I was absorbed in cardboard, I think. And I'm, I'm there in the aisle getting what I need, and I felt, you know, his presence. And this woman came up beside me, and she just huffed. And I could tell that she was a little bit upset and flustered, and, and she was rifling through cardboard and, as well. And, and she knocked a whole bunch of stuff over, and, and, and she was just having a moment. And I knelt down and, you know, helped her pick some things up. And I'm just like, hey, are you okay? And she just, you know, talking about her son who was being severely bullied at school. And in that moment, she was quite emotional. And so we had a moment there in the cardboard aisle of the reject shop. And I was just able to just, it wasn't profound. I didn't have a word of knowledge, like a solution for that moment. It was honestly just got opened up a mum to mum moment where another, a mum could just share her heart about her son and I was just there to encourage and just to be there, be that grace space for her in that moment. So I just want to encourage you, it can look like that. It can look like that. It can look like anything, but it's going to look like you in your context wherever you find yourself. And it's just learning to be aware, check in and being brave to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And I just want to finish... Um, very quickly with these two scriptures, write them down and I encourage you to meditate on them because they are beautiful and they are from the Passion Translation. The first one is Psalm 32, verse 8 and 9. And it says, I hear the Lord saying, I will stay close to you, instructing and guiding you along the path for your life. I will advise you along the way and lead you forth with my eyes as your guide. Don't you love that? So don't make it difficult. Don't be stubborn when I take you where you've not been before. Don't make me tug you and pull you along. Just come with me. Don't you love that? Just He knows us. He knows us in our humanity and our weakness. I've found that scripture so encouraging. Just come with me. Proverbs 2, 1 to 2. My child, will you treasure my wisdom? Then and only then will you acquire it. And only if you accept my advice and hide it within you will you succeed. So train your heart to listen when I speak. And open your spirit wide to expand your discernment. Then pass it on to your sons and daughters. I love these scriptures because it speaks about not just him speaking, but it's our response. We're living this life of we hear and we follow, right? We sense and we respond. So, yeah, be encouraged. Awesome. So good. Amazing. Um, can we put our hands together for Pastors Aaron Crisson and this morning's opening session? I think one of the, just one of the greatest barriers, I think, is perception. The, the fact that we perceive something is going to look a particular way and so we, we discount ourselves before we even engage. Uh, and I just love the way I feel like you're breaking down that wall and giving permission to explore the space with the Holy Spirit, do that journey with Him by checking in. Uh, we're going to have a small break now. We're going to have some morning tea. Uh, I believe there's coffee available. Yep, cool. I was just, I'm looking for the nod. Uh, <laughs> um. And really, 
like I said, it really just is our pleasure to be here. You can be seated. Hopefully you took something away from that first session. Certainly our prayer would be that that is the case, that something was sown into your life, something was unlocked. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, the Spirit-led life message is really quite simple. You know, we follow the words of Prophet Nike, just do it. And, uh, you know, but for all the reasons that we just unpacked, it's, you know, easier said than done, right? And things get in the way. And, you know, again, quoting Bill Johnson, we, obviously he's had a profound impact on our life. You know, the biggest challenge, he says, the biggest challenge with Christians is what's in between their two ears. And, you know, the hard work has been done by Christ. You know, he said, it is finished. And then he filled us, he gives us his Holy Spirit, fills us with same power that raised him from the dead is the same power that rests upon us. The problem or the challenge, the process for us is to, you know, reset, relearn, unlearn, relearn, you know, according to kingdom patterns and rhythms. And that really is the difference between living a spirit-led life or not. Not just here in on church or behind closed doors, obviously, but out there in the world as well. I don't know if you, re, uh, if you follow those guys, the Bethel guys on uh, Instagram or social media, but they just had like an article from Fox News. Like Fox News wrote an article basically saying, you know, how, the headline was like, how revival happened in Reading. And so talking about revival and, you know, that song, uh, Raise a Hallelujah. Yeah. And so that, you know, this, the sub-headline was, you know, miracle, you know, makes a way for new, you know, song to be written and, and sung across the world. That's Fox News writing uh, a, a, a story about revival. They interviewed, anyway, mind-blowing what those guys are doing. And, you know, simply by having the courage and I think really setting the pace and setting the standard for us as the kingdom of God watching, or not to copy what they're doing, but to be inspired. And again, to see it as an invitation, hey, it's actually literally possible to change and transform a city, which is what they are doing. They have the, the mayor of their city come and ask them, hey, what, you know, there's not, not the church asking what we can do. It's say, hey, we've got this need. Can you come in and fill it? They ask and invite the Bethel guys to come in and fix things up for them. All right. We're going to, at the end of this, I'm going to try and speak, I'm going to try and speak briefly, unpack a few more thoughts from this story in John chapter 4, and I want to show another quick video, which is crazy out there, it'll uh, blow some minds and challenge you, and then um, we're going to do some activation and some ministry, is that okay? Usually when we do the activation time, that's the cue when for people to leave, people go, I'm checking out right now, you mean you're going to ask me to do something? Yep, we are. I encourage you to stay, okay? It happens at our church all the time. It's like, we're going to do some activation. And, you know, people start peeling out the doors. Like, no, no, no. I just want to hear what you want to say. I don't want to actually put it into practice. <laughs> Inspire me. You know, give me tweetable lines, but don't ask me to do it. And that's often, the, that's, again, the mentality that, that often we have in, in churches. Um, again, we've got to get over the awkwardness. Let's just get over it. And let's just get on with doing what God's called us to do. John chapter 4. Quick little story, powerful story. I think perhaps one of the most complete stories we have in Scripture of spirit-led life, of Jesus getting a word of knowledge for a lady and uh, meeting her right where she was at in a very normal situation, very normal situation, although he broke some customs of the day, certainly, to have this conversation. But it was just a normal situation, getting a drink to people that were thirsty. And this lady's life was changed forever through a simple word of knowledge and not only that, but as you read the story on and go on to uh, see, see what happens, the whole town comes out. In one moment, literally, one word of knowledge, 
brought a whole town to salvation. And I think, again, that should inspire us as to how powerful and why we should be pursuing this kind of lifestyle. Because I, I really do believe it's the key to unlocking, unlocking things in the world around us. John chapter 4, verse 7. I'm going to skip different verses for the sake of time, but uh, you, can, you can try and follow along. Uh, I dare you to. When a Samaritan woman came to the draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, I am a Samaritan. How can you ask for me uh, for a drink? Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. So that I don't uh, get, so I won't get thirsty again. And he told her, verse sixteen, "Go tell, call your husband and come back." I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said, "You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true." Verse nineteen, profound, sir. I see that you are a prophet. The woman said in verse 25, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Verse 35, this is after, I've skipped way ahead now. The disciples come back. They had gone to get food. They come back. And this is what Jesus says to the disciples in reference to what just happened. You have a saying, it's still four months to the harvest. But I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields, They are ripe for harvest. Perspective. Who mentioned perspective just before? Someone mentioned perspective when they got up. Perspective. And then verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed. And because of his words, many more became believers. Again, one of the most complete pictures that we have of what this spirit-led life looks like from start to finish. Just quickly, I want to pull out a few things from this. Uh, that we learn. Uh, you know, again, we're looking at, I love how Kristen talked about how you know, often we look at perhaps the, the amazing, you know, evangelists that go out there way out on a limb and we go, I could never do that. And, you know, and, and the reality is that God's not necessarily asking us to do that. I mean, we may work our way up to something like that, but it's just starting with the normal. This was a very normal situation, very normal setting. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, being a pastor, we have to be pretty intentional about finding non-Christians in our world. Yeah. Uh, you know, in Sydney, you know, our, our, our neighbours, uh, you know, actually both of them, well, on one side anyway, I found it hard to connect with them because the very first conversation I had, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And that was pretty much it. Game over. <laughs> Literally turned away and walked off. And so, you know, and, you know, now I say hello when my kids kick their ball over their fence and, you know, little backyard in Sydney. And he doesn't like us very much because our kids are constantly doing that. And in fact, the other day, one of the balls came back with a message on it. He'd written a message on it saying, your yard is too small to be playing these games. And he threw the ball back over. Look, brilliant. Thank you, Jesus. He definitely needs to get saved. And um, and so the prayer I was praying for him then might not have been one of salvation. But um, anyway, we, we, so, you know, but one of the situations I mean constantly where I'm surrounded by non-Christians is my kid's soccer team. And again, one of the first conversations I had, it's, it's a little bit easier. It's a little bit cheating when you're a pastor. You know, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. And the next question people ask in Sydney or in the Hills District in particular is, do you go to Hillsong? And you go, no. And you'll, you'll be you know, amazed at how many people uh, that don't go to church hate 
Hillsong in Sydney. They just see it as, you know, this big establishment and money-making machine. And so, uh, you know, so say, no, no, don't go to Hillsong. And then there's a little bit more, okay, maybe I can, you know, maybe you're a real pastor, maybe you're a real Christian. And uh, <laughs> that's what they, that's their opinion, obviously not mine. And, but, you know, just having simple conversations, you know, it was a couple of weeks ago, it was the end of soccer season, and I just struck up a conversation again, I was asking about, so what does your week look like, was the question. And it's just, you know, and so in that moment, just checking in with the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do here, what do you want me to say? And, it was, and I just felt, this isn't the moment to preach at them, this isn't the moment to, I didn't get any words of knowledge, I was looking for one, and praying and believing for one, but didn't get a word of knowledge, I just simply talked to them about what it looks like, and you know, how we get to love on people and help people, people come in and they're hurt and broken, and kind of just kept it at that level, and of course part of it's preaching the word and that sort of stuff, but it's obviously a very small part of what we do. And so it's just looking for those very normal moments. What did you do on the weekend? You know, a lot of the time, we kind of avoid the question, avoid the answer of, I went to church. But I want, you know, it, it often does open up just a simple conversation. I went to church. Now, that's unusual. In, in the, in the um, service station on the way here, we, we went to fill up petrol and buy a packet of mints because no one wants a pastor praying for them that hasn't got a mint in their mouth. And, um, and, and the guy asked me, you know, yeah, you're working today. What are you doing? I said, oh, I'm on my way to church. And, and you know, I'm on my way to preach at church. And, and he, there was like nothing that he just kind of turned his back on me, I think, okay, like literally, cu- customer service, right, I'd finished paying, he asked me the question, I said, oh, I'm going to my church, and he turned, <laughs> all right, see you, buddy, but you know, but it's just giving an answer, an honest answer sometimes, what's happening in your life, well, God's really, you know, moving, it's just keeping it simple, normal conversation, it's exactly what we see here, but here's what Jesus does with this word of knowledge that he receives, in our culture at Dayspring, um, this is something that we've had to teach because we've seen it get a little bit out of balance. We are big on revelation. We are big on getting our prophetic words. And in fact, a lot of visitors, most visitors that come through our door, chances are pretty high that before they leave, they're going to get a word of knowledge. They're going to get someone, not me, not even some of our pastoral team, just people sitting next to them. They're going to you know, give them a little prophetic word. And you know, we want to keep our congregation free to do that. But if I'm honest with you, it creates problems. Sometimes it comes back to us and said, you know, this is the prophetic word that this person gave this. And we go, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, like one time uh, this guy was praying, brand new girl. And she had, you know, a, she was a Christian girl. But uh, this guy prayed for her. And, she, and he said, I see an angel on this shoulder. And I see the devil on that shoulder. And, and he goes, starts unpacking this word and, you know, saying that she's being influenced by this voice. And, and I heard that. I think, oh, my goodness. And, you know, and then another time someone dropped off a care package and then felt to give a prophetic word saying, I see a snake strangling your neck. And, and it's like, oh, wow. And so I preached a message on <laughs> revelation. And it, so we get it right a lot of the times too, right? <laughs> There's some stories of it not working, but it's, it addresses a really real issue. What do we do with the revelation God gives us? Because here's the thing. I, I, I'm not questioning the revelation they got. I'm not questioning the picture that they saw. I am questioning the method and how they delivered that revelation. And here's what we see in Ephesians. Paul says, I pray that you'll receive the spirit of revelation and wisdom. The two things partnering together. And when it comes to a spirit-led life, we, we can't just focus on one and not the other. We can't just be spewing out revelation that we've gotten. Here's this picture I see in your life and just go, bleh. It's not going to work. It's not what Jesus did here. Wisdom and revelation partner together. Revelation speaks of the words of God. Wisdom is the way of God. 
It's the Word of God partnering with the ways of God. And here's how this works. Wisdom gives birth to supernatural revelation in the natural realm. Wisdom takes something that's revelatory, something that's supernatural, and lands it in our natural world. It is applied knowledge, applied revelation. And so the two work hand in hand. When you disconnect one from the other, you're going to create a whole lot of mess. Okay, we don't just want wisdom that's not connected to the revelation of God. That's man's wisdom. You know, that's not going to work. When we're pastoring people, when we're leading people, when we're in situations where we're, we're trying to witness to people, if we're just giving them our wisdom, we're just going to make a mess. We need revelation. But if we're not stopping and asking, what does this... Okay, I'm seeing a, a snake strangling around someone's neck. Uh, get curious. What are you trying to communicate to me, God? What, you know, you've given me this picture. I'm not going to communicate that to them. But what is it you see? You know, and the simple response that we would teach our church in that situation, you see a picture like that, speak life. Obviously, you know, there's something going on in there. In the, so come against it with the opposite spirit. You know, I just feel like God wants to speak life over you. God wants me to just declare life and life abundance. And He wants to speak peace and He wants to speak freedom over you. You know, it's not just blurting out everything that we see. Wisdom and revelation, those two things work together. Revelation partnering with wisdom. Wisdom translates supernatural revelation into a language this natural world will understand and receive. Those two things working together. There's some scriptures here that I think I'll just... Well, you know, there's one story in Acts chapter 19 where these guys see the disciples casting out devils in the name of Jesus. They see Paul casting out devils in the name of Jesus. So they, they think, well, I'm going to do the same thing. And so they find a demoniac and they say, in the name of Jesus, come out. And what happens? The demons turn on them. They say, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? So here they have a revelation of the power of God without wisdom, knowing that power comes from intimacy. And so they skipped that step. They didn't apply the revelation. Hey, there's power in the name of Jesus. Revelation. Wisdom says that it's intimacy that connects you to that power. That's what they were lacking. In this case, they only harmed themselves. But so many times, like in those examples that I used in our own church community, the harm is being done to others. Now, I don't want to make the mistake of saying, no more prophesying. Because the cost of that is far greater. The cost of saying to our church, I don't want you prophesying over visitors. I don't want you speaking words of knowledge over people coming in. That, that cost is far greater. Much more damage is going to be done. But it does mean that we have to, from time to time, pull people up and continue to communicate and speak into the culture of our church and say, hey, wisdom and revelation. Keep them married. Keep them together. The second thing we see that uh, Jesus is talking about here in verse 35, so he gets a word of knowledge, he delivers that, there's wisdom partnered with revelation, he, he understands how to meet her where she's at with this word of knowledge, how to unpack it, unlock her heart. And in 35, I love what he says, he says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months to the harvest, I tell you, open your eyes, in other words, start looking through the eyes of faith, see what I'm doing, see from heaven's perspective the, the, the fields are ripe now for harvest. And here's the thing that I think often stops us. We keep thinking that we're not ready and they're not ready. I'm not ready to preach the gospel. I'm not ready to give a word of knowledge. And they're certainly not ready to receive it. And that's a perspective in this verse that Jesus is saying needs to change. Actually, you need to start looking at this person's life from heaven's perspective. Here's the truth. 
everybody is always willing and ready to receive love. No one's ever going to reject love. They might reject it in a certain package or a certain form. Yes, like Kristen said, they might not want a Bible verse preached at them. They might not even want to come to church. They might not be ready to come to church. They might have been burnt or hurt by church, church structure and all those kind of things. But I think you'll find it pretty hard to find a person who's not ready to receive love. And I'm going to show you a video right now that challenges you that even the person you think would be least likely ready to receive love is actually open and ready and ripe for harvest. Crazy, right? So, again, I don't want to put that up there as an example of, hey, that's what you need to go do. Find a Satanist and butt heads with him and pray over him. If God leads you to do that, then absolutely do it. Respond. What I want to do is use that video to change your perception that people are more open than what we think, that people are more ready. And again, you watch what he did there. Simple word of knowledge. Hey, I see that you've got a call for an artist, being an artist, a creator on your life. And you watch his whole demeanor change. I mean, after that, you could see he was getting uncomfortable because obviously God was coming up against the, you know, whatever spirit was inside of him. But you just see his whole demeanor change. Oh. And he was just able to share the gospel. Really, really simple with him. The harvest is ready. Open your eyes, look up and see. Again, the problem is between our ears. We, in our minds, think they're not ready. They'll reject me. In the end, they're not rejecting us anyway. They're rejecting Christ. And we just have to be obedient to what God is asking us to do. The harvest is ripe. The last thing I want to talk about is that Jesus just simply met this woman, same with Todd White here, at her point of need. He met her at her point of need. Her greatest wound was having five husbands. And for whatever reason, she was, you know, she was not married again. You can imagine a lot of pain, a lot of rejection, a lot of hurt connected to that. Jesus just simply, in a non-confrontational way, met her at her point of need. Everyone has those, you know, it's not, we're not looking for people's pain points, but everyone does have a point of pain that needs redemption. You know, in our Western world, we don't necessarily need saving because we, you know, in the, in the sense because we're, you know, lacking anything financial. We live in a very blessed world. We live, medically speaking, we live in a very blessed world. But we still carry wounds and hurts from relationships. We still have parts of our life that need redeeming, that need redemption. And God wants to, you know, help you connect with people at that level. I love how Jesus was real with this woman. He says, I am he who you speak of. Todd White was real. He was vulnerable. He opened up his story. You know, from a very young age, I remember about teaching, you know, people saying, you've got to have your testimony ready. I always thought the testimony was just a message. It's just simply you being vulnerable. Hey, let me just, let me open up my heart. That in and of itself will break down walls because it's so anti-cultural. Hey, I'm really, really struggling with this area. You know, I, you know, like four years ago, I was in credit card debt up to my eyeballs. You know, chances are the person talking to you knows exactly what you're talking about because we live in a society, especially in, you know, where we live in the hills. We don't have, you know, any problems with homeless people in the hills like they do in the inner city and Parramatta. Um, you know, some of, the, some of those kind of social issues we don't have in the hills. It's a very rich area, but it is, they are loaded up on debt. They are loaded up. Most of them have like a mortgage of 800 to $1.2 million dollars. 
and I think the average credit card debt in the Hills area is something around $25,000. So if you were to open up and be real about someone and say, hey, how do, you manage, you know, how do you manage credit card debt in your life? That right there could be an open door to ministering the gospel. Who'd have thought? But you're meeting them at that pain point. And just be real and honest and say, hey, I really struggle with this, but hey, I went to a church, I heard a message on being a good steward of your finances. I learned that if I tithe and was generous with my money, that God was going to bless me. It kind of goes against the way the world teaches where we hoard our money for ourselves and keep wanting to keep up with everything that's going on around us. And that might be something that breaks something open in their heart. Just meeting them at their point of need. You know, we have... Uh, I think last week was the Are You Okay Day, right? We have that movement because people are not okay. And it's an incredible movement, and I, and I hope that it gains more and more ground. But we have, you know, just take a step back and say, why do we have that? Because people are not okay. And so they may deny that they need a savior, that they need saving, but they do. The last place they're looking for it is in a church because they see it as an institution. But you introduce them to Jesus and it changes the game. And again, how do you do that? You do that by just talking, being real and vulnerable about what Jesus has done for you, allowing him to minister and move through your life. All right, we're going to go on to some practical activation stuff. Cue to exit. We've got 17 minutes left. All right. I think we did that pretty quick. That's pretty good. All right. So I'm going to give you some practical tips first. All right. So where to from here? How do we get better at this? What's the next step? Here's some things that are non-intimidating. All right. Hands up if you like that idea. Easy. Non-intimidating. All right. First thing is just something you can do on your own. Prophesy your day. What does that look like? Get up in the morning and ask God for a download, a word of knowledge, for something that might happen in your day. Holy Spirit, give me a picture of something that's going to happen in my day. Write it down. Get curious. You might get a picture of, you know, driving past a red car or, you know, something like that. And so then you say, okay, well, what? I wonder what the number plate of that red car would be. And then, you know, get some detail. I wonder if, you know, that car would be, you know, you might, it might be to pull up next to a red car on traffic lights. I wonder if there'd be a mom and three kids. So get curious. Get a little bit detailed. Don't just keep it generic because, you know, chances are you'll trick yourself out of thinking that was a God moment at all if you just pull up next to a red car. Well, the chances of that are, you know, pretty, especially in Sydney, pretty high that you're going to be stuck in traffic for at least an hour. And, you know, at one of those times a red car is going to pull up alongside you. Uh, you know, so get specific. And then at the end of the day, go back and reflect. Okay, well, here's what I saw was right. I was a little bit wrong here. I misinterpreted this picture. I misunderstood that. And, you know, just practice uh, doing that in your day. Again, that's not scary, right? Not scary at all. If you get it wrong, no one needs to know. It's just a process of you developing that. I remember once, I think I said this last time, but I remember once I was hanging clothes on the clothesline. I do that every day. I'm a good husband. And Kristen was out shopping, and uh, which is, you know, I'm the shopper in the family, not Kristen. And in fact, usually when she wants to buy stuff, I have to go with her and just say, just get this, this, because it's just a painful process. It's a good thing for a husband. Um, very, very blessed. But she was out shopping this time, and I just, I just felt God say, hey, why don't you, you know, see if you can get a picture of what it is she's going to buy. And so I stopped hanging clothes, I got my phone out, and I just wrote down three or four things that... I felt, yeah, I'm just going to see. God, what is it she's going to buy? And I think I put down four things. I only got one right. 
But it was a learning experience for me. It's just a simple moment. Again, there's no pain involved, no awkwardness involved. I think I did share it with Kristen, and she just laughed and said, you're an idiot. And so that was probably the most painful part of it. And, um, but four things and one right. It's just practicing little moments like that. We can do that. I think sometimes we think, well, it's, it's you know, if I touch that, am I going to get burnt? You know, is, am I messing with the holy secret thing? No, no, no. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. And so you're okay. I learn how to love my kids. I learn how to relate to my kids. If I took the principles I learned from Bethany and applied them to Joel, apart from the fact that boy and girl, you know, that just wouldn't work. I have to, there's, there's learning involved. Ah, that conversation didn't work with you. It worked with your sister. That conversation didn't work with you. Going to go away, rethink that, come up with a new strategy. It's relationship. It's real. And so we can do that. So prophesy your day. If we have time, I'm going to get you to do that at the end of this. Just write down some thoughts that you think God is giving you about what's going to happen on the rest of your day. And again, get specific. Well, I'm going to have lunch when Aaron finally finishes. All right, so the next step up from that, practice practicing words of knowledge. Somewhere like a restaurant. All right, so this is a little bit more of a step up. But it doesn't have to involve, uh, again, you... When we're just starting out, don't, don't blow it out, hey, God showed me this, or I think that God's telling me this. Just write down some things. When, the, when you meet your waiter or waitress, just say, hey, God, give me some details on, her, on his or her life. So you might think, okay, they've got three kids. And then just next time she comes back and say, hey, how many kids do you have? Maybe your kids are screaming and making a mess and on their iPad and say, kids, hey. How many do you have? And see what the response is. Oh, I don't have any kids. Damn, got it wrong. But you just, like, just little things like that don't have to say, God told me. When we're learning, just set up a situation where you can go, okay. That, and what it, it will build, again, a history and confidence with, uh, hey, I got that right. Or I didn't get that right. So just interview. You might want to practice on your kids or your husband. Your husband might come home, similar to what I did with Kristen, and go, hey, I think that God did this in your day today, or I think that this happened. And how did you know? And again, very non-awkward way of learning how to hear from God and practicing on each other. All right. Your turn. We're going to start simple, and then we're going to move our way up to something. We're not going to do anything crazy, so that's all good. We're going to send you out into the streets. All right, what do we want to do first? First, I'm going to pray for you. I'm just going to quickly just pray and release revelation over you, and then I'm going to ask you to do some stuff. Is that okay? All right. Lord, we just thank you for your spirit of revelation in this place. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us, that you speak to us in words, you speak to us in situations, you speak to us through unusual coincidences, all kinds of different ways, Lord. I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our eyes to see what you were doing, what you were saying. Lord, I pray that you would break down mindsets of how you speak so that we can learn to receive in different ways and in different forms. And I pray that right now as we start to practice the prophetic and words of knowledge, that you would come and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I think part of it is, you know, sometimes getting over the fact that God doesn't just speak to us in this still small voice. There are lots of different ways. Just this last year, I've learned that God speaks in numbers. I was always one of those guys that thought those people were weird. I see numbers everywhere. Well, good for you. (laughs) Numbers are everywhere. And then God started speaking to me in numbers. I'm thinking, uh-oh, I'm one of those weird people. I started seeing two, two, two everywhere. Like three, two, two. There you go. Uh, two, two, two everywhere. And I'm ringing, and my friend is prophetic. I'm thinking, you're weird. What does this mean? And 
And I realized, literally, because I, I, I just thought, that's weird. God can just speak to me in normal, everyday language. Well, you know, chances are he wants to teach you something bigger than that and just show you a new aspect of his nature. And I realized that this 222 was connected to a prophetic word that someone gave me at the beginning of the year. And they said, Revelation 22.2. And there's this whole thing, and I, I, I completely forgot. And Kristen reminded me, and said, Heidi Baker, it's written on our wall. Revelation 22.2. Or 2.22, whatever it is. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying that God's going to challenge your thinking. Here we go. This is the first step. What is one thing that is stopping you from stepping out and praying for someone? I want you to write it down. One thing. Again, this is a real simple thing. One thing that is stopping you, just be honest with you and God, what is stepping, uh, from stopping you from stepping out and praying for someone. Write that down. And then I want you to ask what God says about that one thing. Holy Spirit, how do you see that? What do you say about this? Give me your perspective. Maybe it's something like, they're not ready, my friend. I want to witness to this friend, they're not ready. But what does God say about that? Just going to give you another 20 seconds or so. We don't need to take too long on this one. All right, the next thing. Think of someone in your life that needs an encounter with Jesus. Could be a Christian, could be a non-Christian. Doesn't matter. Someone in your life that needs a touch from God. I want you to write down where you think they're at. Write down what it is that you think they're struggling with. Write down, yeah, I don't think they're open to the gospel. I don't think they would come to church. I don't think that they would you know, receive a word of knowledge. I think that they're... Just write down where you think they're at. Maybe you even want to use a number from 1 to 10, how open they are to the things of God. Oh, you know what, they're probably a 2. Now, again, I want you to ask Jesus how he sees them. I want you to ask, so we're getting a little bit more specific now. A particular person in your life, I want you to see the difference between where you see they are and where God sees them. God, what do you, how do you see this person? Graham, Graham Cook, if you've heard of him or have any of his books or teachings, I'd encourage you to do so. He, he teaches into this so well. And, you know, the key isn't the seeing people as projects or it's just getting the love of God. It's just getting the Father's heart for them. How do you see this person? Once you receive, you know, you can be told to love someone or you can receive God's heart for them and you can't help but love them. You can be told to prophesy over someone or you can receive God's heart for them and prophecy will just flow out. Right. Yeah. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, right, without love, you're just a sounding gong, which is saying love has to flow first. Right. Once we receive love for someone, you know, it's, you know, when I'm in love with Christian, it's no effort to tell her. It's no effort for words to flow, for it to be demonstrated. And often we, we miss it because we don't allow ourselves to feel I think Todd White kind of touched on this. I'm not, I'm not after the juggler vein going for salvation all the time. I just want, to, I just want the Father's heart yeah. for this person. If I get to that place, then... So write down what he is saying over their life. 
and ask for, in this moment right now, this person, ask for a word of knowledge. Say, God, what is something that I wouldn't normally know about this person that could be a key to unlocking their heart and their life? I believe that right now that God can give you a word of knowledge. Maybe there's some kind of illness. Maybe there's some kind of pain. Something you wouldn't normally know. All right. Now we're getting a little bit more uncomfortable. Is that okay? So just in that groups that you're kind of already in, maybe just grab the person either side of you, so in groups of two or three, I want you to just practice getting a word of knowledge for them. Now, this is always hard when you know the person, all right? And it's just a little bit trickier when you know the person. So this is keep it simple. Let's not make it a religious thing. Just, get a, just ask for a word of knowledge, something simple like what their favorite movie is, what their favorite color is, what they did last night, you know, like, and again, something you wouldn't normally know. Like, I know Earl was at youth last night. Not a word of knowledge. <laughs> I know that he went to McDonald's after youth last night. Not a word of knowledge. That's what every youth pastor does. Stand and practice. Okay? It doesn't have to be, God might give you something life-changing. Hey, you've been struggling with this. That's, if that's the case, go for it. But it might just, just, just start with something simple. What's their favorite color? Now, if it's your spouse, you probably know that, or you should know that. But let's just do that now. Just take the time. Person to your left or to your right, ask for a word of knowledge, and let's just see what happens. All right? A little awkward, a little uncomfortable. If you get it wrong, no harm done. Person's still going to love you. All right, I'm going to give you guys another minute. All right. How do we go? Hands up if you got something right. If you landed a word of knowledge. Awesome, over there, over here. Cool. Over there. So again, that's something. We get our connect group guys to practice, to practice in connect groups, right? Practice words of knowledge in connect groups. Safe space in your connect groups. Practice the prophetic. Practice getting words of knowledge over each other. Husbands and wives. Kids, get words of knowledge for your kids. How cool is that, being able to learn how to do that in your own family environment? Don't be afraid of creating safe spaces so when you fail, it's not too awkward. Build up history and then, and then take it out into the supermarket on the supermarket speaker. That was like a famous story from guys in Bethel. All right. So, Christian and I are going to have a crack at some prophetic words, too. We're not going to just ask you to do it. Um, so, I'm going to read some words of knowledge for healing. We're going to do this in 50 seconds. And Christian's got some prophetic words as well, uh, specifically for people. But, um, so, for healing. So, what we're going to do, I'm going to call these out. If you've got this condition, I want you to stand. And then I'm going to pray for you after. Um, and I'm going to believe God to heal some people. Okay, so you're going to have... Uh, so the first thing I saw was people with right hip pain in their right hip, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll take a left hip as well. So <laughs> anyone's got 
pain in their right hip. Just quickly uh, lift your hand. All right, awesome. One, two. That's the, I always say awesome. It's not awesome that you have pain in your right hip, but it's awesome that you're responding. All right, a couple of people. The other thing, this is a bit of a weird one. Like I felt, um, or I saw a picture of like a, the bridge of someone's nose was in pain. So it was like it's broken and it hasn't healed properly or it's pain. All right, this person here. Awesome. And then uh, this one, uh, cystic fibrosis. Does anyone here have cystic fibrosis? Yeah, I'll take, yeah, someone in their family as well. Awesome, okay. Again, not awesome, but awesome that you're responding. <laughs> Anyone else? Cystic fibrosis. All right, cool. So, um, Kristen, if you want to give your prophetic words, and then afterwards, those people that responded to that, come out the front, we'll, we'd love to pray for you and see some breakthrough. Yeah? Okay, awesome. The first one that I got was for Jess. And the cruise, right? All right, it was this. And it was really strong. Like, worship started and God drew my attention over to you. And the word, I got the first word, visitation, that you guys are about to get some kind of visitation, coming to you individually, but also to you as a couple and as a family, um, that his presence would be known and felt in and around you, but in your home and in and around your lives. Um, and I also felt that your children would grow knowing the presence of the Lord. Wow. They would know it. Yes, you've raised them in church and they know it in that context. And they probably already do at home to some point, you know, prayers, good night and all that kind of thing. But I think it's going to be something different that they're going to be aware of, the tangible presence of God. They're going to know what that is, not just in their home. They'll know it there first, but it'll set them up to know it as they're out and about in the world. And I also, going out on a bit of a limb here, I have felt that God was looking at your hearts, that you have honoured the Lord with the way that you've dealt with certain things in the past, that you've stewarded your heart before Him and that you've let Him in and kept it soft and open before Him. And as a result of that, like He just wants to pour out, He wants to honour you for the way that you've just you know, kept your heart before him, even in the midst of not understanding or even in the midst of pain. He's seen the way you've navigated that and he wants to honor you for that. And so I just had this, yeah, crazy sense that the day of visitation is coming. He's going to pour his presence out on individually on your home, but your kids, and it's just something powerful. And people want to be around you. People want to be in your home because of what you carry. So why don't we just extend our hands to them. Lord, we just bless them now in the name of Jesus. We just release this word of visitation over them, over their home, over their children, over them individually as a couple, what they carry. Well, I thank you, God, that this also speaks to the anointing, God, that they're going to carry as a couple and minister from that place and impart to other people. And so right now we just ask for open heaven over their home open heaven over the lives of their children, that you'd be ministering to their children even in their sleep, that you'd be giving them dreams, that they would be read, that they would grow knowing who you are, what you feel like, how you speak, God, and it would, they would just be marked with your presence. I thank you for this family. And I just, we just honour them. We honour them. Lord, for the way that they've stewarded their hearts. Lord, we don't need to know details, but you do. You see it all. You see it all. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would bring healing and hope Lord, and we 
we just release this word of visitation and presence over them now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Do you guys, sorry, but do you guys have um, unsaved family members? I just heard, I heard salvation is coming. And I felt that's connected to unsaved family members. So we released that over you guys as well. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, this one's a bit patchy. So I'm just going to go with it too. I had a word. um, How many children do you guys have? Four. Um, I just had a word about your kids and I saw, now I sound like one of those weirdos that you were talking about. (laughs) I didn't see numbers. I saw jewels, golden jewels inside them. Like in that they, they, they had them like as a, an incredible deposit. You've raised them in the house of the Lord. I think it goes beyond that. I think it's got a little bit to do with inheritance, but I think it's something that you as parents need to, um, it's an encouragement for you that there is great wealth and inheritance and the decisions that you've made. Like I think sometimes in leadership we go, how is this going to, I'm okay with taking hits and I'm okay with taking risks, risks, but I don't know how this is going to affect my kids. I think as leaders, sometimes we think that. And I just, as clear as day, there's golden jewels within your kids and he's got them. And at the right time, those things, they're going to be able to call on them. And I, um, I got the Psalm 128, verses 5 and 6. It says, May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. And I just felt it was a blessing on you guys, just your personal worlds that he's got your kids, that all the promises that he's spoken of them and yes and amen, even when you can't see it. And as, as parents, we just pray. We just pray, right? And we just keep watering and we keep believing. But I, it was just, I felt a blessing over your children, but over you personally and your marriage and your home and your ministry. But just, yeah. So why don't we just extend our hands to them. Lord, we just bless them in the name of Jesus. We thank you for their children, their four beautiful children, sons or daughters. Three boys, one girl. (laughs) I don't know their names, but you know them, Father. And we bless them now in the name of Jesus. We bless them. I thank you, Lord, that you have stored up within them all they need for a life of godliness. I thank you, Lord, that they will know who you are, that they will know uh, what it is to hear you and to follow you. I thank you, Lord, for all the treasure that you have laid up on the inside of them. And at just the right moment, they will know how to tap into that. And Lord, we bless them as parents. Lord, for the choices that they've made. Lord, for raising them in the house of the Lord. Lord, we bless them. We bless their home. We, re- we bless their finances. We bless their marriage. Lord, that that word, Lord, of blessing and prosperity and peace, Lord, we release that word over them now in the name of Jesus. And I just pray for favor. Pray for favor, God, over this next season ahead. Favor with the relationships with their children and favor with the relationships they have with each other, Lord, and their finances and moving the church forward with buildings and all of that. I just declare peace and favor in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And one last quick one was just for you guys. All I got was a picture of all of a sudden you guys getting really buff. I did. That's a funny kind of picture, but I did. That, like, God was giving you strength, like physical strength. We watch a lot of Marvel in our house, you know. Like, and so I had like this picture of you know, 
God like in your limbs. And, you know, there's, there's, the, the scriptures talk about, you know, him strengthening their arms and things like that. And I saw that physically, but also on the inside. And I'm not saying that you doubt whether or not you, you're strong enough for what God has for you in the future. But you, with him, you've got this. God's got this and you've got this. And he's going to strengthen you. And there'll, there'll come a season where you'll look at each other. And we have those moments, don't we? Like sometimes he'll be preaching and I'll be like, who are you? Where did you come from? Because we've been together. I met you when I was 16. God's just amazing. And I believe that you're going to step, you know, years from now, you're going to look at each other and go, who are we? Like that, this is, it can only be God that did this. It can only be God. And God is, he's, he's got everything in hand. He's going to give you all the strength, the inner strength whatever you need. So, yeah. Have you got anything? No? Marvel, buff, Hulk, you've got this. So, God, we just bless them yeah. now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the call on this couple. Thank you that it's incredible and it's big. And they already get a sense of that. But I thank you, Lord, that you are the God that goes over and above all that we could hope, think and imagine. And, God, I just thank you, Lord, that you never call us to something that you don't grace us for and empower us for. And so we just release now in the name of Jesus that empowering, that grace, that strengthening. Lord, that you would remind them, Lord, in the years ahead when it get, does get tough, that you've given them everything, that you've promised to strengthen them on the outside and on the inside. We bless them now in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for the day, God, when they have a laugh with each other. Like, God, you've just been so amazing. You've been so faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys, for having us again. Those people that responded to the healing words of knowledge, I'll stick around here or over there, and we'd love to get a chance to pray for you as well and believe for miracles. But we'll see you guys tomorrow. We're around tomorrow as well, which is... Thank you so much. Just...